You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Genesis chapter 5 is where we're going to be, and you can go ahead and turn there and just make a couple opening remarks, and then we'll stand for the reading here. Genesis, technically we're going to read the last two verses of Genesis 4 and then get into the uh, Genesis 5. We'll read Genesis 5 as well. So we're back in Genesis this morning. It's been, uh, I love this book. I'm grateful for Genesis, the book of Genesis. And uh, I'm telling you, it seems like every passage, you're, you're just trying to climb a mountain. It's a mountain climbing experience and you're not sure you're going to get there And uh, I do feel that way sometimes trying to get through some of these passages because they're so vital to our understanding of everything else. It's not small stuff, it's important stuff. And there are some passages, though, that you come to and you think, um, you know, they may not be as important or it may not matter as much in the grand scheme. And this might be one this morning, but I think we'll find that there is an important truth to learn Chapter 5 is a contrast to chapter 4. If you'll remember, chapter 4 was the story of Cain leaving his parents and going to the land of Nod and starting life without God. He he began a civilization without God and and tried to live life and and ignore his upbringing, ignore his his parents' God. And, And among all those trying to do life without God, there arose, though, a line of Adam's sons who began to call upon the name of the Lord. And that's where we're going to start this morning in Exodus chapter 4, verse 25. Let's stand as we read it, and we'll read through chapter 5. And it's a, we'll read the whole chapter 5, and I know that sounds long, so I just want to prepare you for that. It's a longer reading, and I thought about maybe reading, um, going every other verse or something, but there's a bunch of names here, and it would be maybe a little bit like a train wreck. So I'm just going to... I'll just be the only one wrecking the train, and you can laugh at me silently. Genesis chapter 4, verse 25, it says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said, She hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. That's a very important phrase. Among all of those living without God, there arose a, a, a trend or a, from the line of Seth to say, nope, in the midst of confusion, we will call upon the name of the Lord. And to call upon the name of the Lord both means to pray to him, but also to proclaim him. Verse 5, sorry, chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. So this is a summary of Genesis 1. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness and after his image and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And Seth lived 105 years and begat Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. 
And Enos lived 90 years and begat Canaan. And Enos lived after he begat Canaan 815 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enos were 905 years and he died. And Canaan lived 70 years and and begat Mahalalel. And Canaan lived after he begat Mahalalel 840 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. And Mahalaleel lived sixty and five years and begat Jared. And Mahalaleel lived after he begat Jared eight hundred and thirty years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahalaleel were eight hundred and ninety-five years, and he died. And Jared lived in hundred sixty-two and two years, and he begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch eight hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 962 years, sorry, 960 and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. He died young. No wait, he didn't die at all. As it says, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived in 187 years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 780 and two years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 960 and nine years, and he died. And Lamech lived in 180 and two years and begat a son. And he called his name Noah, it's a familiar name, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah 590 and five years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were 770 and seven years. And he died. The last verse isn't key or to, our, to our chapter here, so I'm not going to read it to you. But what's the phrase that stood out to you? As we read that, what are the three words? And he died. See, this list may not seem very important as you read it. But there's one repeated phrase that comes as a stark contrast, a sobering reminder of the effects of sin. And he died. And as the world got used to this occurrence, death, they had a choice to make. Some, like the descendants of Cain, lived life to the fullest. Their motto was eat, drink, and be merry. Others likely lived in fear and dread because death is coming. But some chose to find hope in their relationship with God. They called upon the name of the Lord, and in the midst of all the darkness, one man especially named Enoch, he walked with God. So the title of this message today is Walking Among Tombstones. Walking among tombstones. And my prayer is that the best part of the message isn't the title today. But the truth is, we're walking among tombstones. And if we're not careful, we'll be focused on the effects of sin. And we'll miss the most important thing that we could do with our life. And that is walk with God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the passage. I thank you for the scripture. And if all I did this morning was stand and read it, it would be power, it would have power in itself because it would bring us to the sobering reminder that our life has uh, an end 
And at some point, we will too die. But we can't choose whether or not we die. But God, we can choose how we live. And I pray that you would help us to be reminded of that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. I know that was a longer passage. There's no more important book to the understanding of the rest of the Bible than the book of Genesis. You really can't understand. This is kind of what we talked about at the beginning of this series. You really can't understand a story if you miss the beginning. And Genesis tells us how it all began, thus helping us more clearly than grasp the rest of the Bible. And it's not just for us. Moses wrote these words for the children of Israel after they were coming out of the land of Egypt and getting prepared to go into the promised land. He wanted them to be sure that they understood life in the context of God. He wanted them to have the big picture so they could more clearly view their lives in a biblical or godly manner. He wanted them to see why they were created and what their purpose was. The key to understand every passage um, with that context in mind, that should be something we're striving for. And Genesis 5 is labeled a genealogy. It's a list of Adam's sons with very little commentary. We, we get some idea of the kind of men they were. They follow in the line of Seth. They probably called upon the name of the Lord. But there's not much more there at first glance. It might seem even insignificant as you read Genesis 5. And we, I, I don't know if you have these. You might almost view it like a flyover text. Uh, you ever get to the first maybe nine chapters of First Chronicles and you're like, oh, that my Bible reading done for the day. Well, this is maybe one of those flyover texts. You know, they call the mid the the, the states in the, uh, the the middle part of America, middle America, they call them flyover states because the perception is they're just not destinations. The boring states are in the middle of the United States of America. And to that, I have to say, South Dakota isn't boring at all, because if nothing else, we have the best governor, okay? She shoots pheasants and posts videos of it. I like it. Let them think South Dakota is boring. I'm not sure we want them to stop here anyway, right? But you know, there's no such thing as a flyover Bible passage. See, even the genealogies in the Bible, if we believe the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit through the writers, then we believe that this book, every list, every genealogy, is also inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it's included here for a reason. And obviously then, this is important to Israel's history. These records matter to show where families came from. And so just understand, try to put yourself in the position then of a child of Israel, an Israelite, and you're reading these passages. See, see, God uses these genealogies as the structure of Genesis. And uh, the Hebrew word for generation is toledoth, which is Hebrew, which is expressed in the phrase, and these are the generations of. The first Toledoth you might find in the Bible begins with creation. The second is over in Genesis chapter 2. It says these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. So you have these structures set up by God as a way to give you an understanding of how things flow in the book of Genesis. That, that generation over in Genesis 2 was about creation. It wasn't about a man. It was about God's creation and what became of the, that creation. We get to chapter 5 here at verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. So God was trying then to help the children of Israel see how Adam connected to God from creation, but also how Adam going forward connects to them. 
The rest of the book of Genesis is filled with these tole doths, these generations, and you've got generations of Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, then you focus on Shem, then you focus on Terah, which produced Abraham, and then you've got uh, Ishmael and Isaac and Esau, and it all ends, by the end of the book, the last generation is the generation of Jacob. And you say, well, why are these important? Well, the children of Israel, um, they, they came from Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So they came from Jacob. And here's the connection. Here's why it's important. And you might miss this just reading through the Bible. God wanted the children of Israel to know they could trace their roots all the way back to him at creation. So, I mean, if you can go Jacob, and you've got the generations of Jacob, which lead to Israel, we are the children of Israel, but you connect every one of those generations through the book of Genesis all the way back to creation. These are God's chosen people. There's no denying it. And he wanted them to know that they mattered to him and that they were important for his big kingdom plans. Now, this would have been important and helpful for Israel because they're coming out of Egypt. And and don't you imagine, they're probably wondering if they were God's chosen people. I mean, they've heard this, but, but I mean, for 400-something years, they were in bondage. They were slaves. So through the Holy Spirit, Moses writes these genealogies to prove to them God is their God and they are God's people. Don't you think that would have given them confidence in who they were right there on the page. I mean, they can read it. They can trace their roots all the way back. And maybe you've done one of those family tree studies. Anybody in here done that and you've tried to go back with it? Okay, nobody's interested in their history. So I'm a, I haven't done it because, you know, honestly, I have a pretty good view of my ancestors and I'm afraid I would find out some things that aren't so pleasant. So if you've ever done that, that's what we do. We get online and do it. Well, God gave them the genealogies in the book of Genesis. They could trace their roots all the way back to their God. He wanted them to know what became of Adam's descendants. That's what Genesis 5 is talking about. Not just in order to link them to Israel, but also to give them a glimpse of the kind of effects that sin started to have on the human race. It's already been evident with Cain, but we find out everyone who came from Adam had to deal with the effects of sin. The phrase that bears this out in Genesis 5 is, and he died. You know, the worst effects, the worst effect of the curse of sin is death. And we see it start to play out in the lives of the men here in Genesis 5. And here's the first thought, the first big thought as we go through is mankind's purpose is to represent God and enjoy his blessings. You know, when God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, their job, their purpose was to represent God and enjoy God's blessings. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Well, look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. So these verses obviously point back to Genesis 1. There's going to be a lot of detail here. I want you to just pay attention Till we get closer to the end and the application, I hope will be clear. These verses remind us that death was not God's original design. God did not put men in the Garden of Eden so that they would experience death. He originally intended for men to fellowship with God in a sinless state. He created men to bless men and to walk with God. Let me remind you, this isn't the world God intended for us to live in. God never intended for us 
to deal with sin and to deal with debauchery and, and riots and hatred and upheaval. We were created in the very beginning. Our father and mother, Adam and Eve, we were created, the human race, sinless, blessed, in close proximity with God. Man was made in God's image and likeness. And if you looked at Adam, you would get a very clear physical picture of what God is like. But in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned. And you know they fell hard and they fell fast. God had told them they would die if they ate of the tree. And that day they died spiritually. They began to die physically. They still produced offspring. They still reproduced. But they lost their first two sons, Cain and Abel. Abel was murdered by his brother Cain. And Cain left home to begin life without God. But Adam and Eve then had another son. His name was Seth. And Seth lived a Godward life. He called on the name of the Lord. And he changed the trends of Cain. And, and, and he influenced his sons. His line he influenced to follow God. But following God doesn't mean you are exempt from the effects of sin. And that's a good point. I wish I could park there for a little bit longer today. But listen, just because you call upon the name of the Lord. And you might pray to God. And you might proclaim the message of God. It doesn't mean you're exempt from the effects of sin. We all have to deal with it. And it's important for us to understand as Bible believers and Bible thinkers, most people think, well, if I follow God, life is going to be easy. But that's, a, that's the wrong way to think because we live in a sin-cursed world. I mean, Jesus Christ, who followed God better than Jesus Christ, his own son, and yet Jesus Christ didn't escape the suffering? He felt the effects of the sin-cursed world. He took the sin upon himself and died in our place on that cross. And yet nobody followed God more closely than Jesus Christ. So the effects of sin, even though our purpose was to represent God and enjoy his blessing, here come the effects of sin. It says in verse 3, And Adam lived in 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness and after his image and called his name Seth. This is honestly one of the saddest phrases in the Bible to me. Adam was created in God's image, sinless. His job was re to reproduce and bear children in God's image, but sin marred God's image in Adam. And when he has a son, instead of producing a son, this son named Seth, instead of producing children holy in God's likeness, Seth is born more like Adam than God. Adam lived, it says, beget a son in his own likeness. And after his image. Yes, Seth still bore the image of God. We all bear the image of God. But the presence of sin had marred the image. Folks, God is holy and we are not. We're no longer inherently close to God. We no longer just naturally fellowship with God. We're separated by this thing called sin. And when Adam bore his sons, I wonder if he noticed the difference. Because you have to think that with each generation... That every generation, apart from God, had to look a little less and less like God. It's whether or not we like it. You know, our children usually resemble the worst in us, don't they? Any of your children in here, so listen, if we were to take a survey, not that you would admit this, but if you, any of your children, you have any children that maybe kind of rub you a little bit, or maybe they drive you a little bit crazier than the other ones? And I know this is a terrible parenting admission, but the children in my house, um, that, whoa, that just really drives me crazy. You know what? You know why? Because they have traits just like me. The ones most likely are the ones that I'm like, oh, come on, get over that. No, no, it's interesting how the children that most resemble us 
are the ones that, boy, we have to have extra grace for. And I wonder then if as Adam held this son, and he's like, boy, it looks, maybe it's a little bit less like God and a little more, more like me. And I wonder if he's thinking, boy, I really blew it, didn't I? Because man was created to, to enjoy God and fellowship with God and enjoy his blessings. But the second big thought is that sin has made our purpose of representing God and enjoying his blessings much more difficult. See, what was natural for Adam and Eve became difficult. His sons had to overcome their sin nature in order to represent and walk with God. And not only that, but the new reality was death. It's apparent. I mean, we already read it. In verse 5, Adam lived 930 years and he died. And first of all, before you think that's a typo, we believe God's word. Okay? We believe that for some reason God had set these things up for, for men to live much longer than they live today. And so we don't question it. We believe in God's word and we trust it. But, I mean, there are those that say that, I don't know all the factors, but before the flood, there was a water vapor covering over the earth like a blanket, a hypobaric chamber that would have protected from the sun and, and increased healing and, and health. Whatever the other, the other factors were, this is God's design. Adam lived a long life, and in ver- the end of verse 4, it says he begat sons and daughters. He had many, many children. Adam produced. He did what he was supposed to do. And he had 930 years to do it. I mean, I was reading, just reading all of these things that mathematicians say, if only half of the children that Adam could have fathered grew up, and if only half of those got married, and if only half of those had children of their own, conservatively speaking, by the time Adam died, he could have seen over a million of his own descendants. A million I mean, that, that makes where to sleep everybody at Thanksgiving a little bit interesting. A million. I mean, family, where do you have a family reunion? I mean, where, I don't even know how you deal with that. But I bring up those numbers, not just for interest's sake, although I do find them interesting, although it's extra biblical. We're, we're speculating here. I bring those up, though, because you have to think that every one of those, those million descendants, if it was, every one of them died, too. And you go through this list and you see in verse 5 how Adam lived 930 years and he died. Verse 8, Seth lived 912 years and he died. Verse 11, Enos lived 905 years and he died. Verse 14, Canaan lived 910 years and he died. Verse 17, Mahalaleel lived 895 years and he died. Verse 20, Jared lived 962 years and he died. Verse 27, Methuselah, uh, he lived a long time, 969 years and he died. And then Lamech brings it up with 777 years and he died. So the heads of these families, um, all the heads of these families are listed and they're the only ones that listed as dying. But there were countless others along the way, countless sons countless daughters over the course of these hundred years. Adam begat sons, he begat daughters, they begat sons and daughters, and listen, death, that which didn't even exist in the beginning, has now become the new reality. It's the new normal. And you have to think that many unnamed were dying along with the heads of their families. I mean, not only that, the very first man died. And, and, and you would wonder, I wonder, if as Adam was dying, if he had told the story of the garden and he had told them that there was a warning to him and Eve that said, the day that thou eatest of the tree, thou shalt surely die. 
And I wonder if after those, uh, there's 930 years or so as a gap between those two things. And I wonder if some people along the way have started thinking, well, Adam's not going to die. He's still around. God doesn't keep his word. Well, God's promises always come true. Years and years and years, hundreds of years later, Adam dies and God's promise came true. If you eat of the tree, if you disobey, you will die. And he died. He was made for God's blessing, but death became the new normal. So I just want you to think from, about the change. I want you to think about the difference from God's original design to what they're experiencing now. Adam and Eve were created in God's image. They were sinless. They were walking with their creator in the cool of the day. That's what they did. Then sin came and they spiritually died. Then an animal died, and then Abel died, and then as Adam and Eve begin to have children, who have children, who have children, some of them die in childbirth, and others they've seen die of some disease, and some are maybe killed in accidents, and Adam and Eve is like a snowball effect, and at first you think, okay, it's not, maybe not too bad, nobody has died since our son Abel, and then maybe somebody else's son or daughter dies. And the snowball just keeps rolling and getting bigger and getting bigger. And then pretty soon, can you imagine how many in those 900 years, 930 years, how many times Adam had seen one of his own descendants die? I'm speculating, but I have to think it happened countless times. I have to think that maybe some were killed in accidents. And, and Adam and Eve, after an accident, Adam and Eve are thinking, well, it's the effect of our sin. It's the curse of our sin. And the longer Adam's alive, the more he's aware of it, and then he dies. Not only Adam, but then his son Seth dies, and Enos, and Canaan, and Mahalaleel, and Jared, and Methuselah, and Lamech. Death after death, and he didn't see all of those, but I'm sure he saw, maybe he saw, I don't think he, who knows if he saw any of them. But you know, death after death after death. And even though Seth's family called upon the name of the Lord, they were followers of God, living Godward lives. But everywhere they looked, it's like an, out, uh, an expression of Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Death is, re- is the result of sin. It's the outcome of sin. There's another, did you hear about so-and-so? They died, wages of sin. And listen, it's what every sinner deserves. I know that's not popular these days, but it's what every sinner deserves. As a sinner before a holy God, the wages of sin is death. There's not much hope in it. Death is inevitable. I mean, it was inevitable for them. It's inevitable for us. And, and, And if that's all you had to look forward to, you would not have hope. Where they once walked with God, now they're walking among tombstones. And everywhere they looked, they were confronted with the realities and effects of sin. The curse was obvious, but but in all of this, we have this shining light in the darkness. This example from Adam's great, 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 I believe, grandson. And his name is Enoch. Look down at verse 18. It says, and Jared lived in 160 and two years, and he begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 962 and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived 60 and five years, and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years. 
and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. We have to, I don't know exactly what that looked like. I just know that in the midst of all the end, he died. One of Adam's descendants chose to operate by God's original purpose for mankind. And he walked with God. Enoch walked with God. And we can go read in the book of Jude, verse 14, it says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints. Over there it says that Enoch not only walked with God, he prophesied for God. The first prophet in the Bible is Enoch, he, the very first one. He walked with God and he proclaimed God's messages to those around him. He fulfilled the very definition of there grows a, a, a line that called upon the name of the Lord. Here's Enoch doing that. He was walking with and witnessing for God. He's a man named Enoch. He's walking among tombstones. Listen, everywhere he looks, he sees the effects and curse of sin. He has watched his family members die. Not only that, the effects of sin are seen in the lives of those all around him. Certainly, many of Seth's descendants called upon the name of the Lord. But you would have to think not all of them did. And besides that, he knows what's happening over in Nod, where they've turned their backs on God. The sin and the hatred and the murder and destruction and death, it's rampant. And Enoch, listen, listen, Enoch could have let the effects of sin affect him. He could have gotten so wrapped up and discouraged by what's happening around him. I mean, he could have lost his hope due to impending death. He knew it was coming someday. I mean, it could be hundreds of years, but he knew it was coming. He could choose to live life how he wants. He could have looked over and nod and said, well, listen, they're all doing what they want to do. I mean, they're just, they've kind of forgotten about God and they're enjoying life and they're just enjoying things and however they want to do it, they just go do it. Whatever feels good, that's what they do. So I'm just going to go do my own thing. I'm going to enjoy myself. If death is inevitable, why not live it up while, while, before it comes? We're all going to die anyway. You know, it's true. We do all die. But what we learn from Enoch is that life is not about answering the question, will you die? It's about answering the question, no, will you choose to live? We don't have a choice in death. Death is inevitable. Death is coming. But you can choose whether or not you live. You can choose how closely you walk with God. You can choose how much of your, your priority, your relationship with God is. You see, even in the midst of tombstones, each of us has the choice to stop living according to sin's design and start living according to God's original design for all of us. In the midst of tombstones, you can also, like Enoch, you can walk with God. And that leads us to the third truth. In spite of sin, we can still represent God and enjoy his blessings. See, what Enoch teaches us is that it's, it's possible to live a full, abundant life. It's possible. You say, well, have you seen the world we live in? Yes, I have. I've seen it. I hate it. I hate the direction we're going. I, I hate how things are turning out. I hate how we can, I mean, it used to be that when change happened, you would look back and you could see the change. Well, now change is happening so rapidly, we're seeing it as it happens. And I don't like the direction. I mean, I'm looking at my kiddos. I've got three of them in the room here, and I'm thinking, 
you know, I'm going to leave them in this someday? Man. You know, life hasn't always been easy for God's followers, though. Actually, we probably have enjoyed life as, as it, at its easiest following God. And it's never been an excuse for God's people to say, well, it's too hard for me to live a life that really matters and walk with God like I should because things are so bad. No, Jesus Christ said, I've come that they might have life and then they might have it more abundantly. You know who was listening to him say that? His disciples. You know what happened to all of his disciples? They were martyred. See, he, Enoch's life was an abundant life. He couldn't choose whether or not he died, but he could choose whether or not he lived. And you, friend, you can live life with meaning in the midst of the effects of sin and death. And just look around again, the hatred and the murder and the people lying and stealing and cheating and the politics and everything. We're seeing the effects of the curse of sin. We're walking among tombstones. And sometimes it can seem as if there's no way around feeling the effects, except we have examples like Enoch. He walked with God. He fulfilled God's purpose for his life. He fulfilled, he fulfilled the, purpose, the purpose that God intends for every man and every woman and every child. He had a relationship with God that trumped everything else. And it's interesting that Enoch did more than just live and die. He walked with God. Everyone around him, uh, they lived and died. But walking with God was above it all. Enoch didn't didn't just live or die. He walked with God. A meaningful relationship with God will raise a person above the cycle of simply living and dying. And isn't it easy to get caught up in the cycle of living and dying? Are you just living? You're just going about life and there's not much purpose. I imagine that's what most of Enoch's family members did. They lived. They got married. They had families. They raised children. They had cattle. They had possessions. They had a home. They lived good, long, 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 long lives. They were respected, maybe. And they died. And we get caught up in the cycle, too. And Chad and Lisa, Chad lived. He, he went to college. He, he got married. He had children. He got a great job and married way above himself. You see, if we were writing about Chad in our Bibles, the way would be capitalized, way <laughs> above himself. Got a great job and retired and was a good person, and he died. And Lisa, his wife, and lived and worked hard and got married out of mercy to a good man. <laughs> Raised godly children and lived a happy life and did right. And she died. For some people, the list might even include things like went to church and was faithful and taught Sunday school and sang in the choir and did everything right. And they died. See, here it is, folks. Most people just simply live and die. And listen, I'm not saying any of those things are bad or wrong. They're not. But if all you ever do is live and die, you're choosing to live below the the level God made you to live. See, even though we face sin and we face its effects, the purpose of God for our lives hasn't changed. He is looking for those who, in the midst of a world terribly affected by the curses of sin, will walk with God, will spend time with God, will have a relationship and fellowship and know God and and wake up first thing in the morning and open their Bibles before they do anything else. 
How many times did you do that this week? How many times this week did you wake up and meet with God first thing before you went to work or before you turned on the TV or before you checked your phone? This week, did you spend more time in the Word than in front of the television? See, to walk with God, you must know Him. And to know Him, you must be in His Word. Not just for knowledge, but for sustenance. This book is the bread of life. It feeds us. It helps us. It sustains us. It fills us when we're hungry. And it, and it cleanses us when we're dirty. It gives us strength when we're at our weakest. So why do we think that we can just live and die and we don't need this? You need it. I need it. In the midst of tombstones, we need it. In the midst of tombstones, if we didn't have this, all we would see were the epitaphs. All we would see is, and he died, and he died, and he died. What's the point? What's the point? But you have something in your hands that will daily, on a daily basis, give you the perspective that you need to not be so focused on the effects of the curse and focus on the God who makes it all matter. In prayer this week, I mean, I heard this just this week, the average Christian spends four minutes a day in prayer. That's a, long, that's a long prayer before lunch and supper. But sometimes I think that might be the only time we pray. And yet God wants us to live far above that. He created us to represent him and know him and be blessed by him. And we choose to live so far below his purpose for us when we let other things get in the way of our relationship with him. Thinking about meeting with God in his house. How many excuses do we allow to cause us to miss? And it could be in here. It could be online. I'm not, not coronavirus. And, I mean, who knows? I, I, there's so many uh, variables these days. But the truth is, I'm talking about the habit. If your walk with God means more to God than anything else, then why do we allow things to come in between meeting with him in his house on a daily, weekly basis? At what point do we get out of the cycle of simply living and dying and rise above it all so that it can be said of us, well, we, we walk with God. The world is full of those living and dying. I want to know where the Enochs are because I want to be one. Look again at verse 24. And Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Very simply stated. I mean, for 300 years, Enoch walked with God. And one day, I don't know what he was doing, if he was sitting among friends or if he's walking down the road or if he's working in a garden. I don't know what happened. One day, he just disappeared and God took him home to heaven. Like Elijah in a whirlwind, one day Enoch just... And he's gone. And I'd love to go that way. I don't want to have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, there's a chance, you don't realize there's a chance. If you're a child of God, by the way, you must be saved. In order to be a child of God, you must place your faith in Jesus Christ and acknowledge that you, the wages of sin is death. And without Christ's payment on the cross, you have no hope of eternal life and place your faith in his substitutionary death on the cross. By faith, believe that he's the only way to heaven. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's the only way for you to be a child of God. And you can be a child of God this morning by simply placing your faith in God's plan for salvation. That's it. But listen, if you're a child of God, there's a chance that we might all get to go. Because the rapture is imminent. 
And Jesus Christ is coming back very soon. I mean, you look around and think, well, I don't know how much worse it can get. I know it can get worse, but I really hope that Jesus Christ comes back at any moment he could. But Enoch did more than live. He walked with God. He did more than die. He walked with God. And in a symbolic picture, we see that a person walking with God doesn't have to be impacted by the effects of the curse. You realize that? While people are in bondage to their sin, you don't have to be if you walk with God. And while people are discouraged and depressed and they're in deep depression based on the situation in our country and the effects of sin, listen, they are terrible. But if you'll walk with God, it'll keep your perspective where it needs to be. You don't have to live according to the effects of sin. You may, we may, listen, we are not, there's no guarantee that we're not, that we're not going to die. But, but all I do know is I can make the choice that I can rise above the hardships of my life if I just walk with God. I don't have to stay bound to my sin if I walk with God. I don't have to live in fear of death if I will walk with God. Even when walking among tombstones, you can walk with God. You ever feel like life is living you and you're just kind of being dragged along behind it? Whatever's happening, it's just happening to you. You're just being carried along by the cycle of living and dying without any say. Well, according to Genesis 5, it's possible to rise above it. If you'll give your life to cultivating a relationship with God, it starts by placing your faith in Christ. As I already mentioned, you have to meet him first before you can walk with him. And, but for most, it's time to step out of the living and dying cycle, which is what we're in. We're just going through the motions. We're just living, and then someday we're going to be dying. It's just a cycle everybody goes through. And listen, almost everybody does that. Most people just live and die. But there's a select few who truly live. And rather than simply live and die, some people live, and then they really live. And then they die. They refuse to get caught up focusing on the effects of sin and its curse. Instead, they turn their eyes toward God and say, whatever it takes, I'll do it if it means that I get to know you better, Father. Uh, Whatever it takes, I'll do it if it means I can have a close relationship with you, Lord. I'll walk with you no matter what I'm facing because that's the most important thing you have for me on this planet. Hebrews 11 says about Enoch, By faith, Enoch was translated. That means transferred. Talk about the best job transfer ever. Translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him before. Before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. You want to live a life that pleases God? Walk with God. We may not be taken out of here before death. We might even have to go through it. But we don't have to live in fear of it. We don't have to live in bondage to sin. We can have this testimony that we please God. Just like Enoch. If we will resolve to walk with God, just like Enoch. See, the hope found in a relationship with God is greater than the despair found in the curse of sin. Let me give that to you again. The hope found in a relationship with God is greater than the despair found in the curse of sin. 
Unfortunately, many people choose to be led around by the effects of sin rather than living above them. But you don't have to. You know what you can be? You can be Enoch. So will you set aside all the distractions and effects of sin in the sin-filled world and focus on God first? Will you ignore the shine of sin and spend more time with the Lord than anything else? Will you choose to rise above the tombstones and focus on Christ who, has the, who had the power to rise, above, to rise above his own tombstone? Why would we focus on the effects of sin and death when we have a Savior who rose above it? Kind of reminds me of higher ground. You know, I'm thinking about that, that song, Higher Ground. And I'm not going to sing it for you. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay. Where doubts arise and fears dismay, tombstones. Though some may dwell where these abound, and you could say though most dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. I want to live above the world, though Satan darts at me are are hurled, for faith has caught the joyful sound, the song of saints, on higher ground. I want to scale the utmost height and catch a gleam of glory bright, but still I'll pray till heaven I found. Lord, lead me on to higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plain than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. It's possible. Amen. The world's dragging you down. It wants you to live on their level. Satan is hurling those fiery darts. And he wants you to live way down below where God ever intended for you. But our prayer should be, I'm not focusing on the tombstones. I'm going to live higher. Will you be an Enoch? Will will you live the abundant life that's available to you? Or are you just going to simply live and die like everybody else? Some people live and die. Some people live, live, and die. You can be an Enoch. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.